Welcome to the St. Paul's Episcopal Church podcast. Here, we will share our thoughts, voices, and prayers. St. Paul's is a progressive community of faith with ancient roots. You can find out more about St. Paul's at their website, stpauls.dioup.org, or find us on Facebook. If you would like to share your words on this podcast, send us a message. May God's peace be with you today and always. Words twice a week, one six, the epiphany. Here are some thoughts on some of the lessons we might encounter today, the epiphany, and uh, next Sunday, uh, the first after the epiphany, baptism of Jesus. Isaiah 43, one to seven, words to a people lost in exile, entering the third year of a pandemic, facing the breakdown of community and culture and institutions. The backstory is in Isaiah 42, 18 to 25. Israel is suffering because it is in fact God who has been against them. Isaiah now says, don't be afraid because God will no longer be against them. Why? Because God created this people for intimate communion relationship and that requires fear to be banished. You can't be close with someone you are afraid of. God has rescued us. This is something that has already happened and will make a difference in the future. We can think about what it must have meant to original hearers. How do we think about what it means for us today? Verse 4, God gave up nations. What does that mean? The sons and daughters are created to bring honor to God. How do we help with that? How do we hinder it? When we tolerate a world in which sons and daughters live in poverty, hungry and homeless, growing up malnourished if they grow up at all. Verse 1, I have called you by my name. No, verse 1, I have called you by name. And verse 7, they are called by my name. Those who are redeemed are also claimed. Nice. I'll firm a foundation and I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Just a nice, powerful hymn. I remember hearing one of our first black female United Methodist bishops finishing up a sermon by moving back and forth across the room, reciting it, along with half the congregation. Moving. Isaiah 61 to 6, God's glory will appear over you. God's glory on the way down to us, or God's glory emanating from a faithful people. Probably the one and then the other, at least in the original saying, hearing. Verse 5, see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and rejoice, or swell with pride in the contemporary English version. Does that go with verse 4 and the sons and daughters arriving, or with the rest of verses 5 and 6, 
the abundance of the seas and the wealth of the nations. If it's the sons and the daughters, what about your sons and daughters causes your heart to swell with pride? And have you let them know? And if it's the abundance of the sea and the wealth of the nations that causes your heart to swell with pride? Hmm. Of course, the scholars suggest this part of Isaiah, third Isaiah, they call it, comes from a time after the return from exile when the temple is rebuilt, but the people are still living a certain poverty. And so how would different peoples hear it today? The world in darkness, the coming light, what thoughts, ideas, issues come to your mind? Arise, an imperative or an invitation or both? Psalm 29. Okay, I don't like this psalm. If you've followed words twice a week for any length of time, you probably heard about that already. Here's what I wrote last year. Okay, I don't really like Psalm 29. I used to. I used to think it was really cool. We read it, adding one more group of people with each verse, so it got louder and louder and ended with a great crash. I always wanted to get a couple of timpani kettle drums, we used to call them, to end with. But then I read this article, uh, Rescuing Earth from a Storm God. Psalm 29 and 96-97 by Norman C. Habel. He was one of the moving forces behind the season of creation that many churches observe towards the end of the season after Pentecost. And Geraldine Advent. About how um, Psalm 29 portrays God as ecologically and environmentally violent and destructive and how Psalm 96-7 to Psalm 97-6 has a similar theme and structure, but presents God as creating, nurturing, restoring. Um, quote, in Psalm 29, earth is reduced to a battered object. In the second hymn, Psalm 96-97, earth becomes a subject, a thou, who rejoices and celebrates. In terms of the eco-justice principles reflected in this approach, Psalm 29 devalues earth by treating it as a domain for divine power plays, while Psalm 96 97 claim the participation and consequent valuing of the entire earth community in a rich response to Yahweh's advent. It's especially obvious that the first psalm negates and silences the voice of earth, while the second makes the voices of earth and the wider earth community, community that includes everything from the fish of the sea and the trees of the forest to the skies above and all peoples below, central to its call to celebrate, end quote. So, ever since, I've had issues with Psalm 29. Years ago, I did a series called <clears throat> Earthwards, Creation-Flavored Thoughts on the Lectionary Texts. Here's what I wrote in 2010. There's a little bit of overlap. Feel free to skip this all if you're tired of this rant. Readers of Earthwards will remember that I'm not particularly enamored with the psalm. Verses 1 and 2 are just to ascribe glory and strength to the Lord. And then the rest of the psalm says the reason is because God is powerful enough to really batter the earth. Is this thunderstorm meant to be a preview of things to come? In a really good piece, again, it's rescuing the earth from a storm god. Norman Havel and Ger Geraldine Avent encourage us to see in Psalms 96 and 97 an image of a God whose power is to be intimate with the earth community and to bring health and blessing rather than violence and destruction. Form-wise, 
While the thunderstorm format, complete with a thunderous crack of glory, is a novel that doesn't hold up over 20 to 30 years of repetition, even the alliterative flashing forth flames of fire gets stale after a while. At least that's my take on it. I admit I was rather enamored of the poem when I was just starting out in the ministry, even considered trying to bring a timpani again for the glory, maybe trying to get too cute with it has spoiled it for me. Anyway, breaking the cedars of Lebanon, again, it's more impressive to grow a tree than to break one off, he says, looking at the broken off balsam of Marquette County, still drying out, decorated in our living room. Skipping like a calf or a young wild ox, a god of powerful love sets all the world a-skipping, or maybe keeps all the world off balance. The Lord sits enthroned over it all, or is the Lord intimately involved with it all? I go more with the latter. Each earthward's entry had a prayer. Here's the one from 2010. Eternal God, we ascribe to you the power of creation. We ascribe to you the experience of evolvement, a gathering of an interconnected earth community. We ascribe to you praise and astonishment for the world you fashion and guide. Baptize us anew with wonder and wisdom to find our way within it to your side. And I wonder, was that supposed to be involvement instead of evolvement? I don't know. Nice either way, I guess. Okay, enough on Psalm 29. Matthew 2, 1 to 12. The wise men arrive, although why we call them wise is a mystery to me. They were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, but shouldn't they have known better than to go see Herod in the first place? They went home by a different route. It's fun to think about going home on different streets. Are there other ways we might go home from church, from the manger, differently? That bit above about skipping like a calf. So we think about getting back to the life after or in this pandemic. How will we live differently? They go home out of the story and are not heard from or of again. Frederick Buechner tells of a day when he was particularly down or depressed. And out of nowhere, and for no particular reason, a friend, acquaintance, came uninvited, unexpected, from several states away. They spent the day together doing nothing at all that significant, and the friend left. And it was one of the most significant, substantial days of Beekner's life. Has someone ever come unexpectedly into your life, bearing a gift, and then disappeared? Herod and the Innocents. I know it's not in this lesson, but we know it's there. Brian McLaren and We Make the Road by Walking links this to old men sitting safely and sending young men and women into war. Or we could extend it to the well-off, sacrificing, slaughtering, ignoring the children who are cold, hungry, homeless. A few powerful lines from Fred Craddock. Herod died, says Matthew, but in a real sense he is still alive, the personification of all the forces arrayed against the way of God's love and grace in the world. The church should be realistic enough to know he is there and he is powerful. The church should be trusting enough to know he is not finally powerful. And I would just add that we should recognize and confess that there is some of Herod in each of us, individually and congregationally. Finally, Luke 3, 15 to 17, 21, 22. Again, it's not in this lesson, but I'm sure I mentioned it before. I'm not sure if I mentioned it before or not, but I love the way Tom Key deals with um, three 
9, the axe laid to the root in the Cotton Patch Gospel musical, he brings out a chainsaw. 3, uh, 15 to 17 is about the one who is coming. 3, 21, 22 is about the baptism of Jesus. In between, John drops out of the story and ends up in jail. So it never really says who baptized Jesus. And at the same time, it foreshadows what those who sign on with Jesus might be up against. It's interesting to ponder John's expectations, fire and smoke, and Jesus' experience, prayer. And again, I know I mentioned it before, but the unquenchable fire, is that a bad threatening image or a good campfire with s'mores kind of a thing? The Holy Spirit, even in these few verses, there does not seem to be consistency. Verses uh, 16 connects the Holy Spirit with a prophetic, prophetic, perhaps cataclysmic vision. Verse 22 connects it with the peaceful communion and relationship between God and Jesus. How do you think about the Holy Spirit? You are my son. Who heard that? Just Jesus? The whole crowd? Note that as Matthew tells the story, the voice says, This is my son. So, that's what I got for now.